Hi, I'm Jason Pritchard, and welcome to the EVTOL Insights Podcast, a brilliant show featuring guests from companies in the EVTOL aircraft and urban air mobility markets. Throughout each episode, we'll be finding out about their exciting projects, which will help revolutionise the way we travel in future and get their insights into the current state of the industry. In this episode, I'm joined by John Demush, CEO at Iris Automation. The safety avionics technology company is pioneering detect and avoid systems and aviation policy services that enable customers to build scalable, beyond visual line of sight operations for commercial drones. Before joining Iris Automation, John was at Boeing Next and has more than 30 years of extensive aviation technology experience and executive leadership, building upon his technical background in engineering, software development and systems integration. He is also an FAA certified commercial pilot with multi-engine and instrument ratings and a certified flight instructor. John, thank you so much for joining me on the EVTOL Insights podcast. Pleasure to be here, Jason. Thank you uh, for having me on. You've had an extensive aerospace career and was previously at Boeing Next before arriving at Iris Automation, John. How has your time at Iris gone so far? It's been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I, I chose to to leave Boeing to come run this amazing little company, uh, largely because what they had accomplished technically is really, really impressive. And the value that it's gonna present to the integration of piloted and unpiloted systems in airspaces around the world is tremendous. And I honestly, like given my career and passion for aviation, I saw this as an opportunity to come be a part of, of something that was fundamental to the next century of flight and, and safe aviation. So uh, it's been an amazing ride so far. I mean, it, it's funny, I feel like I've been here for years and it's it's been a scant uh, four months. <laughs> With all your extensive aerospace experience, John, as well, it's uh, you mentioned a really good point about detect and avoid and the, the fundamental systems when it comes to developers creating the own, their own eVTOL aircraft as well. How important is it then that we start to see sort of the progress being made with what Iris can do with sort of detect and avoid systems in the sort of the next generation, as you say, of this aviation. What impact do you think Iris can have going forward as we're seeing more, more developers build their eVTOL aircraft? To answer that, I'm going to rewind the clock um, back to a time when I was running a little company called 2D3. And what we were doing was building computer vision software primarily to help uh, imagery analysts take airborne video and telemetry and turn it into maps, reports, coordinates, measurements, et cetera. In that time, we actually worked on the application of computer vision to detect and avoid. And, and we actually did some of that work in conjunction with Northrop Grumman, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of our flight tests, I actually went up and flew a Bonanza as the quote unquote intruder aircraft. And our uh, own ship aircraft was an ultralight with a camera strapped inside a foam football on the wing to, oh, wow. to vibration damp. So, you know, this is this has been an interesting area of research and technology development for quite a while now. And for me, it's critical because the history of aviation has always assumed, and indeed regulations around the world are written with the assumption that there's a pilot in the cockpit. And that pilot allows the rules to kind of work in a very interlinked way. So if you could imagine a Venn diagram with three circles on it, 
that one circle is pilot certification, one circle is operational certification, and one circle is aircraft certification. It's the intersection of those three circles that provides the safety system that we have in place today for aviation. It works really, really well. And various rules in those different circles interact with rules in other circles to provide the kind of redundancy and check and balance that a mature safety system needs to have. So, you know, the, the current system is not broken. However, it is based on the assumption that there's a pilot in the cockpit. And it's also somewhat based on what we tend to refer to as the big sky theory in that there's so few airplanes in this atmosphere that is huge that actually your risk of midair is already starting at a pretty low point. Therefore, you can put some simple mitigations in place to, to improve that risk even better to the point that when I go get in a Cessna, I'm always on the lookout for other aircraft. But you know, my main concern isn't that I'm going to have a midair because all the mitigations are in place from flight plans to airspace to you know, right-of-way rules to cruising altitudes to radar and transponders to ADSB, and then finally to my human eyeballs looking out the window. But as we look forward into unpiloted systems and you know the promise of having aerial appliances that are either doing mundane jobs like inspection or you know perimeter surveillance all the way up to cargo carriage or last mile delivery and then ultimately to passenger carriage, there's gonna be a lot more things in the sky. So some of those fundamental assumptions of big sky are significantly challenged. And we need to find a way to increase the capacity of our airspace system, but without sacrificing safety. And it, you know, from that perspective, I, I really do empathize and feel for global regulators. This is a hard problem. Their charter is to keep the air safe. And you know, here all of us are saying, no, 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 we got to put more airplanes in. We got the tech and you know, we're going to bring the tech and show you how this can be done. Well, that sounds great and it's exciting, but that's a hard thing to figure out how to integrate into such a stable and safe system. So I think coming back to your question now, you know, Iris's criticality in this, we're an optical based system. We chose to use an optical system for a variety of different reasons. One, it's small in terms of size, weight, and power. So it allows us to put the capability on relatively small aircraft down to about 40 pounds gross takeoff weight. Two, it's passive, doesn't emit any energy. Therefore, you don't have to get other you know, certifications or clearances or spectrum allocation to be able to go use your DIA system. And then three, it allows us to use the hardware that's already on the market. I don't have to build anything exotic or proprietary. I can use commercial off-the-shelf lenses, commercial off-the-shelf compute, and the magic is in the software that we write. And that software uses the 2D imagery from the onboard cameras to detect things that are moving in the sky, then classify those things using deep learning. Once we have a classification of the things we detect, then we can look them up in a table and we know what their cross-sectional area should be. Given that number and knowledge of the geometries of the cameras, we can determine range. So this is really the novel bit, is that our system can give you bearing and range to a potential threat, much the same way that a human in the cockpit could. Now, what I will say is that we need to be careful and that this sounds exciting and everybody goes, oh my gosh, like vision systems, and they can see how a digital vision system could be better than a human. But, you know, there's cautionary tale there. And you have to recognize that safety in flight is, is not ever about one thing. 
It's about a layer of mitigations. So for us, we think we offer a real option for the last line of defense in collision avoidance in future aviation, because we will be able to see the whole sky. We, we are unblinking eye that doesn't get distracted and we're on board, which means we can minimize the time from detection to an alert that uh, needs to be acted on either automatically by, a, by an autopilot on board or by a human who is you know, sitting in or on the control loop. You talked earlier in when our conversation about collaborations as well. Is Iris, has it, has it at the moment or is it looking to work with potentially other eVTOL aircraft developers? Because you've got so much expertise in this particular area. What do you value do you think you can bring to those that are building their own aircraft and, and need, as you say, the detect and avoid expertise that the Iris can offer? Yeah, so I think you know the impact on commercial aviation is, is obvious. People aren't traveling, so uh, there's no revenue being produced. For the eVTOL space, it, you know, we're not flying yet, right? So you, you could say, well, it, it hasn't affected the business yet because the business isn't there yet. But, um, but COVID certainly did and, and continues to have an effect on the operation of our business. It puts friction in place of, you know, things that you want to go do in terms of engineering or flight test or, you know, data analysis to support regulatory applications and approvals. So it is, it, it's drag on the airplane is what I would say. In terms of $13 million Series B, yeah, I think that was, A, it's anytime you can raise money for your startup, it's huge. But to do so in the midst of a global pandemic with a lot of uncertainty around our marketplace, I think was really a show of support from our current and new investors and that they remain bullish on the future of unpiloted systems and the economic benefit they can bring. So, yeah, it, it was uh, it's definitely a shot in the arm and a boost to confidence. So, you know, we're we're really thankful and excited to be in this position to continue to do this kind of development work around DAA. Part of the funding, I understand, allowed Iris Automation to continue participating in the FAA's Beyond program. Uh, what benefits does that give the company as the industry starts to gather more momentum? You know, it's about collaboration, right? This is a hard problem that everybody's trying to solve, right? Integration of unpiloted systems into national airspaces without affecting safety. That can't be done by any single group, person, company, even government. There needs to be an open collaboration. And that collaboration really needs to be driven by specific use cases, and, and this is the benefit of programs like Beyond or programs like the IPP that the FAA just finished. It forces people to come together around a mission and go try to do it. And in that effort, you're exposed to the real risks. Because it's one thing to you know, sit at your desk or in your whiteboard and try to identify all the risks, but it's hard to really balance and quantify those risks until you get out in the field and try to do it for real. So for me, that's really the benefit of programs like Beyond, is it gets all of the stakeholders to go work together towards a common outcome, which is discovery, learning around a use case and what the real risks are and the best ways to mitigate those risks in a practical sense. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to be able to continue our participation in that program. Our intent is to work very closely. The city of Reno is the lead. Uh, on the program and we support them and what they want to do. Their use case is river rescue. As you can imagine, if you've ever been to the West, Western states in the US, they're, they're dry most of the time. 
But when it rains, the earth doesn't soak up that water. It, it very rapidly turns into flash floods. So something that looks like just a dry arroyo can turn into a white water, you know, raging river in no time. And every year there's people that get swept downstream because they, they get caught unaware. So being mm -hmm. able to deploy an aerial asset to find someone who has been swept downstream is critical to the life-saving efforts that have to go on. That way, the first responders can anticipate and position themselves downstream and give themselves the best probability of success for recovering someone. So we are going to execute that use case. And what we're going to be doing is deploying an aircraft with our 360 system aboard, which uh, allows for 360 degrees of detect and avoid on board the aircraft. Because in this use case, you're not going to have time to post a notum or to protect airspace. You need to get up and you need to go. So an onboard system is pretty much required to ensure that you're not going to endanger you know, a private pilot or somebody who's out flying a cub or a helicopter, news helicopter who might be in the region. So that's, that's the benefit of beyond is, is that use case drives a specific concept of operation, which then exposes the risks to safety that then need to be mitigated by you know, your approach to doing the work, the systems that you're going to use, the technology you're going to deploy. And for us, it's just a great crucible to, to put our system through the paces and learn and improve our product. Absolutely, John. And I think you hit some really good points there as well. It's firstly collaboration. We're seeing a lot of partnerships with different companies as they work together to, to integrate their own systems into, into the airspace, but also build their own eVTOL aircraft as well. But also with the use cases as well, because it's so crucial that beyond visual line of sight is it's not going to be crucial for eVTOL aircraft and the idea of urban air mobility, but it's also going to be crucial, as you mentioned there, with first responders and, and sort of emergency service as well. So I think it's really exciting time just to see how much an impact this new technology that Iris Automation are working on with Casia, for example, into different work use cases as well. So it's going to benefit a whole host of different people in, in different walks of life, isn't it? It, it totally is. And, uh, you know, I, I get really excited about the future eVTOL space. And, you know, a big part of my role at uh, Boeing Next before coming to Iris was around understanding the, the market requirements, the customer requirements, the airspace requirements, regulatory requirements around deployment of eVTOLs in, in novel transportation networks. So when you think about DAA and that space, um, yeah, it's super exciting. And the work that we're doing now, even though it's on smaller drones, you know, this is the pathfinding work that needs to happen. And small drones are a great place to start because they're relatively inexpensive they're easy to configure in different kinds of uh, designs so that you can explore the effect of different designs on different mission sets and performance profiles. And then that leads the way into cargo carriage. Uh, once you can start to car carry cargo, then you start to get into more of the certification realms of passenger carrying aircraft. And then ultimately, you're producing passenger carrying aircraft. I personally, as a flight instructor and a commercial pilot, I'm super excited about all of the work that's going into the goal of achieving autonomous flight. I do think that's a ways down the road, but I would say I'm pretty bullish on seeing more systems deployed that, that fall into the category of simplified vehicle operations, where you're removing the pilot's need from having to directly manipulate controls, and instead they become more of a, a manager of the system and, you know, I can envision a day where when I go fly an aircraft, I'm, we're almost there today, frankly, 
with some of the avionics that are in general aviation to be able to sit in literally, you know, tap a touch screen and say, I want to go here and the system figure it all out, file the flight plan, right? Turn on the airplane, taxi the airplane and you're monitoring. So I, I think, you know, technologically we're pretty much there. Um, we need to work out the use case and the human factors and then obviously the regulatory environments. But I think all of that work really maps into where EV tolls are headed. Uh, so I'm super excited about it. I think Iris certainly has a has a, a place to add value in that ecosystem because as you simplify the vehicle operations, you're going to be able to do operations with reduced crew and potentially your qualifications to be an aircraft operator could be lower without sacrificing safety. And in that case, you just need to have better situational awareness built into the aircraft so that now that operator, uh, the system is helping them find the threat as opposed to them having to have their head on a swivel and, and find it. Well, you talked earlier in when our conversation about collaborations as well. Is Iris, has it, has it at the moment or is it looking to work with potentially other eVTOL aircraft developers? Because you've got so much expertise in this particular area. What do you value do you think you can bring to those that are building their own aircraft and, and need, as you say, the detect and avoid expertise that the Iris can offer? Yeah, we have started reaching out to them. We're talking to just about all of them today. And, and if there's someone out there that we haven't talked to, you know, I'd love to talk to them because now is the time to have these discussions. You know, being an aerospace engineer and having been involved in clean sheet aircraft design, you need to know what kind of size, weight, and power and performance you're going to need to have on board as early as possible in the design process. Because you know, design is this amazing balance of competing forces that uh, involve a lot of trade-offs. And the earlier you know what you're going to need to have on board, the better, because it helps you optimize your design. So we want to talk to these manufacturers now. Uh, we are talking to a handful of them already. And it's a good time for that because our system is now at a maturity level where we're very confident in what it can do. We can characterize that because we've flown literally tens of thousands of encounters in the real world and millions of encounters in the simulated world. So we kind of understand what performance looks like. We have a good view of how uh, the compute market and the camera market and the lens market is growing. So we can, we can make a reasonable prediction about how performance will increase over time. And we continue to invest our own money in the development of the software to improve its performance with, with every software release. So now's the right time to collaborate, to identify what the system configurations need to be, where you might need to place sensors on your aircraft, how you would handle the compute, and start to work that into your system design with the knowledge that actually the system gets better over time. And there's one other thing I would add to the collaboration with manufacturers. While what we focus on is the DAA problem, and we do use an optical system to do it, once you've got smart cameras on the airplane, there's going to be other stuff you can do with them. Some things we don't even know yet. I, I can't even imagine yet. Some things I can. I can imagine using an onboard optical system to help you with GPS denied navigation. I can imagine you using an onboard optical system to help you with uh, formation flying so that you can maximize your cargo or passenger throughput on a given route in a cooperative manner. I can imagine an onboard optical system helping you avoid the, the random obstacle, which isn't an aircraft. 
but is something else going on? Uh, you know, maybe a hot air balloon or, or a kid's, you know, party balloons or something else like that. It's a threat in the atmosphere. So we could, you know, you could brainstorm a whole list of things that you could do once you have smart optical system on board. So, you know, while we're focused on DAA, we think there's tremendous opportunity for growth in this space to do other really cool things uh, with computer vision that, that add value. For those who might want to find out more about iris automation, are you able to tell our listeners a bit more about the Casia Detect and Avoid? Yeah, sure. Well, at its core, Casia is software and it's novel application of computer vision and machine learning to allow us to detect, classify, and determine the position in real world space of a potential threat aircraft. We are 100% focused on detecting the, what's called the non-cooperative target. It's a funny word, non-cooperative, because it sounds like somebody's doing something wrong, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, in a lot of uh, aviation jurisdictions around the world, it's completely legal to go flying in certain types of airspace, in certain types of aircraft, without radios, without navigation systems, without transponders, and, and it's perfectly legal. So if you happen to be a drone operator in that environment, you know, that's and flying just for fun on the weekend in their Piper Cub, they're totally legal, but they're not cooperative with your operations. Therefore, you need to detect them to maintain the safety of the airspace. So that's, that's the problem we're focused on. The hardware we deploy is, is not exotic. It is commercial off-the-shelf cameras, high megapixel cameras, kind of coming from the machine vision space, and you know, commercial off-the-shelf lenses that are you know, tailored for that machine vision application. Then we work with our partners to integrate them into the airplane, make sure that they're you know, protected against the elements and they're fit in in an aerodynamic way, et cetera, um, so that they can take advantage of the, of the software on board. What are Iris's plans for, for 2021 and into the future as well? Because I can imagine there's quite a lot going on. A big part of this that I think most people don't understand, and even some people inside the uh, unpiloted aviation industry today, is that it's one thing to have the tech, but it's a whole nother thing to prove that tech against the safety standard. So 2021 for us is about deploying the tech that you know we have built over the last five years, that we have flown successfully. We've even gotten waiver approvals to go fly uh, on unpiloted systems under the IPP program. Well, now it's about really running that stuff through its paces gathering the real world data for all of the different encounter profiles that might happen in the real world, continuing to invest in and mature our machine learning classifier database, which improves the performance of our system in terms of time to detection and false positive and false negative alarms. And our goal is zero false negatives and minimize the false positives. And that just takes a lot of flying. You just got to go out and do the work. So 2021 for us is about doing that work, certainly as part of the Beyond program, but also in partnership with other key customers and partners in the space, typically large industrials who are exploring specific use cases like last mile logistics or inspection of long linear or large area infrastructure that you might see in the oil and gas sector or the energy sector or the rail sector. Um, and finding these use cases with the right partners who are equally motivated to find a solution to this problem and, and literally go fly with them, Jason. 
and you know record as much data as we possibly can, run that through all the analysis, and then collaborate and share all that data with the regulators around the world. So they get comfortable with the performance of our system and feel comfortable seeing it as part of the, the set of puzzle pieces that go into the layers of risk mitigation uh, so that we can integrate unpiloted systems into international airspaces. So that's that's what 2021 is all about for uh, IRIS this year. And you know, I expect to be able to to share with the public significant achievements with those partners uh, as part of the Beyond program. We're working on alternate configurations and deployments of our software. As a matter of fact, we're we're doing some early tests right now with our software running on a ground-based system with the goal of being able to reduce the dependency on ground-based visual observers for unpiloted operations. And that's specifically important for those operations that need to fly BV loss, not because they need to fly far, but because they want to improve their operator to aircraft ratio. So if you can imagine a large construction site or a large mine that wants to use multiple aircraft to go do a job as robotic appliances, you know, they don't want to have to have a person per airplane deployed. What they'd rather do is say, hey, we've got an operator that maintains the system, but the system goes and does its thing. In that case, you still have to sanitize the airspace. You still have to know that there's not, you know, a piloted aircraft that's transiting your airspace. And we think that a ground-based CASIA unit can provide significant value there. So, so watch this space. You will probably see some announcements around that uh, and its performance in 2021. Great. Thanks, John. Well, certainly we at EVTOL Insights very much look forward to, to hearing the announcements as and when they become available as well. Just brings me to my final question, really. With with so much experience in the aerospace, with everything you've done with Boeing and, and with currently you're now doing at Iris, yeah, do you ever just to finish off our, our conversation just as where you see sort of the market going into 2021 and beyond? So I would say um, COVID in a strange way has actually helped people see the benefits of, of unpiloted aviation, whether it's you know vaccine deliveries, uh, other types of medical applications. That's been really encouraging. And I think it's helped people, you know, especially the public acceptance, like get past the nuisance perception and, and more look at the benefits of these types of systems. So uh, that's encouraging to me. I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see more, lack of a better word, shakeout in terms of where the real benefits and the real business cases are and where, you know, the hype starts to fizzle a little bit. And, you know, specifically, there's areas where you can see, especially in rural and remote environments where an unpiloted system, regardless of the use case, really adds tremendous value. So I think you're going to see more of that. When it comes to eVTOLs, you know, I'm excited to see the investment in the space. You know, a lot of the companies now are, are looking to go public uh, as a SPAC, and that's going to bring an infusion of capital, which, which frankly is what those businesses need, because it's hard to bring a new aircraft to market, and you need a lot of capital. So I'm, I'm really encouraged that they're able to tap into that capital and that the public is supportive, which is kind of a measure of what the future demand might look like. And that, that is encouraging. That said, I think you know, listeners and, and readers should understand that it takes a long time and that we are probably still at least a decade away from the Jetsons, <laughs> probably two. <laughs> um, but I do think that you probably will see you kind of novel aircraft flying within the next decade. And that's pretty exciting. And when I say novel, I mean electrically driven distributed 
power plant kind of systems. And that's pretty cool because that promises to, to potentially reduce the price point of that category of aviation well below that of current helicopters. And that's pretty exciting to me because I think there's a whole, well, I know there is. I mean, people for trips under 500 miles, 95% of the world drives. And the 5% that doesn't is because they have rail that's accessible and convenient. So when you think about that, you go, wow, that is just huge. Uh, and then coming back to COVID, you know, COVID has kind of pushed people out of urban centers. And you're starting to see what used to be bedroom communities become more central. So almost like, you know, small cities are becoming, you know, more popular because the quality of life is better, cost of living is better. So that whole regional travel thing, I think is going to be huge in the next 10 years. And I'm excited that we've got these EV tolls and the technology development from electrification to distributed propulsion. I think that's gonna usher in an era of potentially piloted at first, but an era of a different mode of transportation that I'm super excited about because, you know, I, I kind of hate sitting in traffic on the freeway. <laughs> that was brilliantly summed up. So thank you ever so much for that. And really appreciate talking to me as well. Um, wishing you and the whole Iris Automation team the very best of luck going forward into 2021 beyond. Jason, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to be featured in one of our podcasts or there's something you feel we should be talking about, then please send me an email at editorial at evtollinsights.com. We'll be back soon with another episode, so look out for it on whichever podcast platform you use. Goodbye.